the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, we continue to look at this dysfunctional family trying to worship God according to their own standards, and it's just a mess. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 17, verse 7. Once again, that's Judges chapter 17, verse 7. Judges chapter 17. Look at verse 7. We're introduced to another character here. And there was a young man, verse 7 of Judges 17. There was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. So we find here a Levite far from home. Bethlehem Judah is, they have to define it that way because there was also a city named Bethlehem, which it was a common name. And so there was a Bethlehem in the tribe of Zebulun. And so Bethlehem Judah is defining the one in Judah. Now that's famous, of course, because that's where David was born. It's where Jesus was born. It is located in Judah's land, which is why it's called Bethlehem of Judah. But Bethlehem Judah was also special because it was one of the 48 Levitical cities. You say, what is that? Well, if you want more information, you can go to the book of Leviticus and it outlines and says, hey, I want you to set apart 48 cities where the tribe of Levi will live. See, the tribe of Levi did not get any land because their inheritance was the Lord. So, well, where are they going to live? Well, the goal was we didn't want them living in one area because their job was to assist the priests in the tabernacle, number one, and then number two, to teach God's law to all the nation of Israel. So what God says is spread them out all over the nation. There's 48 cities from all the land that the tribes get that will be designated just for the Levites and their families to live in. And that way, since they're equally spread out throughout the nation of Israel, then they won't have to travel far to teach the people around them God's law. So that was where they were supposed to live. So this man is a Levite. So we see here that there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. But it mentions here that he sojourned there. Now, that he's a Levite means that this young man, who is never named, he was assigned to one of those 48 cities for the purpose of teaching God's word to the nearby local Israelites. But notice here, it mentions that he's sojourning in Bethlehem, Judah. The word sojourn means to be a guest or a stranger in a place. This guy is staying in Bethlehem, Judah, but it's not his assigned city. 
What is he doing here instead of where he's supposed to be? Well, Israel had a regular problem of not financially supporting the Levites. See, the Levites were supposed to focus on meeting the spiritual needs of the people instead of pursuing their careers. Now, we have a lot more career choices today than they did back then. Most of the career choices back then had to do with agriculture or cultivating animals in some way, you know, being some type of a farmer or some type of having livestock. And obviously some people had both. So if you were a Levite, you weren't really supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to have a bunch of livestock. You weren't supposed to invest your time into your crops. You were to invest your time on meeting the spiritual needs of the people. But the only way they could do that is through the people's offerings. And so when the people were supposed to bring their tithes to the tabernacle, it would get distributed to the Levites so they could focus on teaching the people God's word. But the Israelites often neglected their offerings. And so the Levites often struggled financially. So this guy is traveling to a different Levitical city because no one in his congregation is supporting him. So he's looking for a new congregation. The problem is, Things aren't any better in Bethlehem. So he looks elsewhere and he ends up meeting our friend Micah. Look at verse 8. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find, it says, a place. But a place is in italics, which means it's just where he could find. The word there, find, actually means to have enough or to be sufficient. So he's looking for a congregation who will take care of him. He's looking to go somewhere that he can be supported. So he's traveling, and it says as he's doing that, he's looking for a place to stay that's not his assigned place so that he can be financially secure. And in doing so, it says he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he sojourned. And Micah said unto him, so he's traveling, and he comes to Micah's house, and likely saying, hey, can I stay here for the night or whatever? Or they meet each other while they're out and about, and they hang out for a bit. And Micah says unto him, hey, where are you from? And he says unto him, well, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah. And I'm going to sojourn where I may find. I'm, I'm looking for a place that will financially support me. I'm a Levite. And Micah says unto him, well, why don't you stay with me? And be unto me a father and a priest. The word their father, it means a caregiver, spiritually speaking here, of course. You know, why don't you be like a, a spiritual father to me? And you can be for me, not just a Levite, but a priest. And being a priest was an upgrade from being a Levite in the Levite's mind. You see, the Levites, they just taught. They only went before the people on behalf of God. They had God's word, so they would go tell the people what God said. Sometimes, if they were chosen, they would get to help the priests in the tabernacle. But priests, oh, they didn't just go before the people on behalf of God. They went before God on the behalf of the people. Priests never went without, never, because they were able to eat of the offerings. Now, to sweeten the pot, Micah offers them a decent salary. He says, if you do this, he says, I will give you 10 shekels of silver by the year, a good yearly wage, and a suit of apparel. In other words, you don't have to depend on offerings anymore, Mr. Levite. I'll pay a salary. And then I'll give you a suit of apparel. The word there literally means clothing that's proper to one's value. 
It's not likely this guy had any nice clothes right now, and he didn't get to wear the priest's garments because he wasn't a priest. And Micah knows, I've got an ephod in there. I could dress this guy up like one of the priests. I can give you clothing that's proper for the value that you are as a person, what you bring. And I'll feed you, your victuals. So the Levite went in. The word there means, he said, okay, I'll give it a try. Now, <laughs> there's so much going on wrong here that it's, sometimes it's difficult where to start. So I want to try to start at the beginning. First, we need to address the concept of God's call on a person's life. Now, God can and does change a person's call sometime. I think the best example of this is the Apostle Paul. Paul served as an evangelist in Damascus and Tarsus for the first seven or eight years of his Christian life. He was an evangelist. That's what he did. He just shared the gospel with people, discipled them, and then turned them over to the church. You guys can raise him up. Then he served, it says to us in the scriptures, that God called him to become a pastor in the church of Antioch. And he did that for about five or six years. And then while he was a pastor of the church of Antioch for those five or six years, at the end of that time, the Lord, in a special what I would call is night of prayer and a special night of prayer like we have here. It says that the Lord called him and Barnabas to the mission field. And that's what Paul did for the rest of his life. So God can and does change a person's call sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that. But Levites were different. Levites, because of their tribe, had one job, one calling from God. From the moment they hit 20 years old, And they were to do it until they retired at the age of 50. And that was teach God's people in your region and assist the priests if you're chosen. I don't get to make up or choose my own call. And we are not to abandon our call simply because, well, it's not working or it's hard or others aren't doing their part. People ask me about the call of God sometimes, and I I explain to them, I say, well, in certain ways, a call from God is kind of like marriage. I'm to give 100% whether others do their part or not. I'm to give 100% whether it's hard or easy. And I'm to fulfill it whether it looks like it's working or not. Because my commitment isn't just to the people I'm serving. My commitment is to the Lord. And God always gives 100%. He never fails. My call isn't dependent upon salary or whether I'm valued properly by those I serve. My call is and always will be dependent upon God's command. Which brings us to the second issue. This Levite is a hireling. He's let in, come to church my way. Lead us in worship how I want you to, and I'll pay you very, very well. John chapter 10, Jesus describes the problem with a hireling. He says in John 10, beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But in contrast to that, that mentality, that kind of service, he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, he sees the wolf coming 
and he doesn't give his life for the sheep. He leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. Now, does the hireling do that because he's a jerk? No. The hireling flees because that's what he is. He's a hireling. It's a job. And most of us try to get jobs that we like. We try to get jobs that are working. We try to get jobs that we feel valued in, that are meaningful to us. The hireling flees because it's a job. He's a hireling. And he does not care for the sheep. And this is the problem with worshiping God my way. You don't actually get what you're signing up for. See, what you really want is genuine care, genuine caregiving. And that will never happen from a hireling. He might make you laugh, he might be an entertaining speaker. He might be a talented preacher. He might be a great manager of church doings. Might be wonderful with kids. A social media wizard. But you won't receive genuine care. Because it's a job to him. The job of a father, a caregiver, isn't to do whatever it takes to make his child happy. Often a father must discipline correct, or teach. And he does so because he loves his child. This Levite isn't leading, he's leeching. And as a result, Micah's going to be very disappointed in how this arrangement turns out for him. Speaking of children, this brings up the third issue. Didn't Micah ordain his son? Didn't he already have a priest? Well, now this son gets pushed aside because dad found someone more legitimate for the job. Talk about a messed up family. First, Micah robs his mother's life savings. And the only reason he gives it back is because he's worried he's cursed. Now he shoves his son to the side and says, son, uh, sorry, but I found someone who's more qualified. Mom is making idols and breaking promises, not just to her son, but to God. And the son, he's totally cool with being an illegitimate priest in a pagan shrine. This is the definition of a messed up family. And this all happens just one generation removed from Joshua. We read at the beginning of our study of Judges, Judges 2 verse 10, where it says, and also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. It becomes more real now, doesn't it? As we see it in technicolor here, we see it flushed out. And this is what that looked like. There's a warning for us in this. And it's this. It doesn't take long for things to fall apart spiritually. In Hebrews chapter two, verse one, as these struggling Christians, persecuted Christians who are heartbroken and really having a hard time and they're thinking about just giving up the faith. Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews in chapter two, verse one says, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed. When things get hard, don't think about bailing. Think about buying in more. 
We ought to give the more earnest heed to pay more close attention to our spiritual walk, to the things which we have heard. Why? Lest at any time we should let them slip. Someone did a devotion on this this week, and it was so good because it talked about the danger that happens when, if we're not paying close attention to our walk with the Lord, how our natural tendency is to begin to drift away. That is our default. That's just how we work. We operate. If you want to be a backslidden Christian, it's easy. I can tell you how to do it. Do nothing. (laughs) Don't read your Bible. Don't be encouraged by other believers, and you will get there eventually. Because that's our default. It's what the flesh defaults to. So we need to pay close attention to our walk with Christ. We can retire from work. We can take a vacation from life. But we don't ever retire or take vacations from Jesus. We need to always be pressing in closer to him. Not to get saved, but because we are. There's a lot of talk. It doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal or in the middle. But there's a lot of talk right now about how the current political climate is going to devastate the country that we leave to our grandchildren. I hear people say that all the time. What are we going to do, Pastor William? Look at what we're going to leave our grandkids as a nation. Maybe true. But can I ask us a question? Why aren't we equally or more upset or upset at all about the spiritual climate that the American church is bequeathing to their children? Because here's the truth. It might take three or four generations to destroy a country. But the Bible tells us it only takes one to destroy a love for Jesus and a dependence upon his word alone. It only takes one generation to lose spiritually. Now, here's the good news. Even if the country or the culture is going down the tubes, I can still leave a solid spiritual legacy to my children no matter what else is going on around me. And then you never have to fear. Micah's family, maybe just like every other family in Israel right now, but it didn't have to be, and neither does yours. Back in Judges chapter 17, verse 11, the Levite takes the job offer. It says, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. It means to accept an offer after much thought. He lived there a couple days. He thought about it. He thought, you know, this is a good deal for me. So he agrees to this contract. And so it says the young man was with him just like one of his sons. Again, welcome to our messed up family, Mr. Levite. Oh, by the way, Junior, that's not your bed anymore. Now we'll see how strong these bonds really are in the next chapter when the Levite bails on Micah because he gets an even better gig. Verse 12. And Micah consecrated the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And then said Micah, now I know that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. He was absolutely convinced that this was the good luck charm he was missing. The phrase do me good there, it means to make prosperous or successful. Listen, I don't know what Micah did for a living. I don't know if things were going good or bad. He apparently had enough money to have his own pagan shrine. His mother has a fortune in savings, so it seems like he's doing pretty well. But whatever he did have, it wasn't enough. And he looks at this situation, he goes, now I'm good enough for God to bless me. Now I've done enough. This 
will be exactly what I'm looking for. This will make me happy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's said in light of what comes before, which is where Timothy is instructed by Paul to oppose the teaching that gain is godliness. He says, no, no, no. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. That's true biblical prosperity. Now, Micah had neither godliness or contentment. So he was still searching. And this is what happens when the word of God isn't my standard, it's not your standard. I'm constantly searching for a truth that fills my longings. One to add to every other truth I've made up in the past. This will be the last brick in the building. This will be the last thing. And yet every brick is another layer of defiance toward the Lord of saying, not your way, but my way. I will not repent. I'm good on my own. And so when God's word isn't that standard, you just keep adding new truths. This will work. This will do it. If I just get here, I'll be fine. Christianity has a destination. I mean, we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? It does have a destination. But Christianity isn't about destination. Because our destination results in relationship with God and with one another. Heaven's not heaven because it's glorious. Heaven's heaven because Jesus is there. Heaven is heaven is because everybody else that loves Jesus is there. Like we're all there together. That's what makes heaven heaven. So our destination results in relationship with God and one another. And that is not experienced just in the destination, but also in the journey. And so that's why Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not something we experience someday. We can have it right now. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, it says this. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. You can know me now, for in these things, I delight, says the Lord. God says, if you want to really have something special that makes life worthy of living right now, it's in knowing me and in understanding my standard, my word. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to boast in that not by any works of righteousness that we have done, but by your mercy, we do know you. And Lord, it's our desire that we would lay hold of the truths that your word taught us and warned us about so that we are paying more close attention to laying hold of you, of 
experiencing that eternal life right now, that quality of life of being in you, of knowing you, of understanding the righteousness, the loving kindness, and the justice you want to do in the earth. Lord, we want to walk in your ways. So Lord, we give ourselves to you that we would not begin to drift away at any time, but that we draw near. Even when times are rough, Lord, and I realize there are so many going through a rough time right now, I pray that you'd help them, Lord. That sometimes our minds just pound us with that fear, with that anger, with that frustration or that doubt or the big hole going, how are we going to do this? How are we going to solve this? Sometimes it's hard to read our Bibles. It's hard to pray. Lord, would you help those who are struggling right now? Let them see your love and let them be empowered by your spirit, Lord, that as they make the choice to persevere, to press in, that your spirit will undergird that choice and help them to press through to the other side, to emerge from these battles victorious, just like Joshua, even though it may be against overwhelming odds. We love you, Lord, and we choose to be strong and courageous, to cling to your standard that's fixed. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.